It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona today, where it's a balmy 82 degrees. I know it's warmer than where my guest and co-host are coming in from today. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that here in just a minute. If this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we are a podcast put together by small business owners for small business owners. Landon and I are business partners. Gary, my co-host for today, is also a business owner, small business owner. We've partnered together also with a fourth partner, Ryan Weissmuller, to put together this podcast because we believe that the small business owner community is truly the backbone of the American economy. And so we got together about a year and a half ago and started this podcast, and it's taken a, on a life of its own, and we're excited to put it on every, uh, every week here. So today is the first time that Gary Braun is co-hosting with me. Gary has actually been a guest on the podcast in the past. So Gary, say hello and tell us what the temperature is uh, in Minnesota today. I'll start with that. It, it, it's certainly not in the 80s, but we are warming up. We are a nice balmy 45, but uh, I'm Gary Brown. I'm with Pivotal Advisors. We work with uh, lots of small small businesses in the sales arena, and I'm just happy to be back. I had fun when I was with you and uh, Landon last time, so I'm fun to, happy to be back here and have some more fun. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you here and uh, look forward to co-hosting with you on a regular basis going forward. So, that brings us to our guest for today, the guest of honor, Jennifer Zick, founder and CEO of Authentic Brand. Authentic Brand is a community of fractional CMOs who help growing businesses overcome random acts of marketing, which she has trademarked, by the way. It's a phrase that I love and, and uh, you know, that I learned about during our prequal call and thought that was, thought that was awesome. Um, so they overcome random acts of marketing and confidently take the next right step to build revenue. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Austin, for having me and Gary for introducing me to Austin and Landon. It was just delightful to get acquainted with you. I'm excited to be back and take a deep dive today. This will be fun. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So Jennifer, if you haven't listened to one of our uh, episodes in the past, you may not know this, but we always try to have our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally first. So we'd love to hear about where you grew up, what your family life was like growing up, Maybe where you studied in college. If you studied in college, do you have kids? Are you married? What do you like to do? Tell us what you'd like us to know about you personally. Oh, thank you for asking. How fun. Yes, I grew up in the lakes area of Minnesota, which is a really popular tourist area now. But when I was growing up, it was just a hardworking small town called Perm, Minnesota. About 2,000 people as I was growing up there, but a lot more that come in in the summer. Um, I was the first in my family to graduate from college. My parents were hardworking um, you know, blue collar, small town people who who stayed in the town they were born in. And my mom stayed home with us and, and raised us really well. And um, so I went off to college with a lot of uh, determination, but no clue what I was going to do with a degree. 
Um, I, I changed majors several times, started off as a studio art major, decided I wasn't talented enough to make a living doing that, came out the other side as a communications journalism major, but after doing an unpaid internship, storm chasing for a TV station, I decided that wasn't worth the risk for the reward. So launched into my career with no clue where I was heading and newly married, very young. My husband and I celebrate 25 years this summer. Um, and we have uh, three children. I'll come back to that point. Um, but yeah, so my career started with no clue. And I've just been really blessed and grateful to meet amazing people at every twist and turn in the road. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I have amazing people around me who are helping me take one day at a time and and uh, use my God-given gifts and talents, I think, in a way that uh, makes me proud and leaves me with no regrets. And that really is my mission. Um, and our three children, our daughter, um, Evelyn, is a freshman at the University of uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire. My husband and I live at home in Chasta, Minnesota with our two other sons. Uh, sons are 16 and 12. They both play hockey. So the Zick family lives in two seasons. We live in hockey season, where we're in the ice rink half the year, actually more than that. But then we spend as much time the other half of the year up at our lake home in Hackensack, Minnesota. So we, we relax really hard there. Yeah, that's my story. Well, I think that's a great story. There's some commonalities that you and I have that I don't think we explored in the prequel call. So I, I am also the first person in my family to graduate from college. And my parents, both uh, blue collar workers might well, my mom actually more white collar now, I guess she's she's been working in an accounting firm, just basically doing copying and, and so forth, you know, for the accounting firm uh, during tax season. But my dad was a general contractor or a stucco contractor most of his career and a mechanic before that, and they both had GEDs. So it, uh, you know, it was it was a far cry for me to now have a master's degree from what they knew and expected growing up. You know, I I, I remember very vividly when it was time for me to graduate with my undergraduate degree, and I called my parents and I told them I was going to buy a ticket for them to fly out to to be there for the graduation, and my mom said wait a minute, you're graduating again? Because she knew I had received my associate's degree prior to that. And so it, it's just, you know, the way that I grew up, it, was, it wasn't that education wasn't important because my parents really pushed me to do well in school, but there wasn't a, a true understanding and an expectation for college because my mom grew up on a farm, my dad grew up on a farm. That's just the way that the, the life was. Absolutely. Yeah. Both my yeah, parents came from double-digit sibling families, so small-town, rural, big families. Not everybody takes the same path. But yeah, Gary, pretty, common story. pretty common story. I mean, that, that was my folks as well. Is uh, Neither one of them went to college. They both went to vocational high school where they learned their trade while in high school. It's pretty interesting. So I think all three of us – oh, and by the way, go Blue Golds because I was a University of Wisconsin Eau Claire person as well. <laughs> Well, that that one was that was going to be too much of a stretch for me. I could have gone with Wisconsin Badgers, but when you said Wisconsin Eau Claire, I thought, do they have do they have a mascot? I'm not sure. So. Nobody knows what the heck a blue gold is. Uh, so it's <laughs> somebody was not very creative when they came up with the name blue gold. I think it has feathers. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Probably that sound that sounds like it would make sense to me. All right, so let's jump into the business side. And, and well, actually, before I before I mention that, it's funny, you know, you you mentioned what was the first declared major, theater arts or 
Uh, actually, studio arts with a vocal music minor. I just decided I was going to do what I love to do, which was create and sing, until I realized that is not going to get me very far. <laughs> I still yeah. love to create and sing, but... Yeah, well, so my undergraduate degree is in French, of all things. So I, I'm I'm with you 100%. It was something that I that I was passionate about. I speak fluent French to this day. I could probably use a little, you know, touch up, um, you know, from time to time. But it's something that uh, was important to me. And I thought, you know, business schools don't want you to study business as an undergrad anyway. They want you to be a little bit more well-rounded. And then just one other comment that I would make to that is, you know, Lincoln Financial Group. Uh, that Landon and I affiliate with. We're not employees of Lincoln, or uh, you know, but our FINRA and SEC tie-in is with Lincoln Financial Group, and they've got a new CEO elect that's coming in um, in May. And I was in a meeting this morning where she actually said that her first declared major was ballet, um, and you know, performing ballet at Temple University. And that didn't last long. She enjoyed the ballet. She was good at it, but just it wasn't engaging her. And so it was the craziest shift I've ever heard. She went from the ballet school to actuarial sciences. And now she's going to be, you know, the first female CEO of a 116-year-old company that's one of the largest companies in the world. So it was, it was pretty awesome to see how far she's been able to come from studying ballet at Temple University to begin with. That's an awesome story. And for another podcast on another day, I have a fun story about how my husband took a ballet class in college when we were newly married. And that was fascinating. He had one arts credit that he had to fulfill and that was the only class left. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you've got pictures or video, I could easily figure out a way to put together a podcast around that. So if only social media cool. had existed then, if only. That's cool. <laughs> I think I would have graduated a semester later and just passed on that until a better class came along. <laughs> All right. So let's get serious and talk about what it is that you're, uh, what you're doing now, right? So you've got Authentic Brand. It's a marketing company for fractional, you know, uh, chief marketing officers. But tell us what it is really that inspired you to, to start Authentic Brand in the beginning, in, you know, in the first place. Yes, I love sharing this story, which Gary's heard more than once. Um, I, Authentic Brand just celebrated five years in business um, last week, in fact, and it was an awesome milestone. We had such a great time, and it's such a wonderful milestone to stop and reflect. And really, Authentic Brand was born in my heart many years before I started the business. I, After I finally found a bit of a path to follow in my career, I ended up pursuing sales and marketing in creative and technology companies for the most part. So my career had been sales business development and marketing and eventually executive leadership for mostly professional services, B2B around technology. And I had an awesome career and a great ride and I had a really great trajectory. Um, but I also got to the point in my life where I was balancing marriage, motherhood and career building and really burning out. Um, and I, I, the trajectory and, and the game plan I had for my life wasn't serving my life very well in terms of honoring my soul and my priorities. And I, I just thought there had to be a better way to do things. And I was at the time working for a Bay Area consulting company and I was rebuilding the marketing team and I loved the work and I loved the people, but I missed my family. I was traveling a ton and just working a lot of hours. And I thought I could maybe gut it out for another year and a half and then finally start this little company that was on my heart when really the PE firm saved me from that. There was a new PE firm, new investors, several executive roles were cut from that business, including my own. And it was the sudden loss of a job for the first time in my life 
that gave me an opportunity to take a leap of faith rather than have all my plans just perfectly ironed out. So five years ago, I lost a job and it was really painful and it felt personal and it was really discouraging. Um, I gave myself an entire two weeks to not make a decision and figure out what I was going to do. And I went up to my cabin and started doodling and asking myself, if I were to start a business, what would it be? And what would it focus on? And I really came away with a two-pronged vision that is still the vision that serves Authentic Brand today. Um, I didn't have the words to describe what we did yet. I hadn't landed on fractional CMO. All I knew for sure is that I wanted to create a new pathway for small businesses to have access to marketing wisdom sooner to help them do what we now lovingly call overcome random acts of marketing. I wanted to help small businesses with wise, experienced executive marketing leadership. And I wanted to help other marketers like myself who were feeling the burnout, find a different way to love their lives and love their work and really honor their souls. So those became the guiding guidelight, uh, really two North stars for authentic brands creation. Um, and it wasn't too far into the development of the business that I found the words to express what our service offering would be. So, so Jennifer, we've talked about this before in the past, uh, offline, obviously, but the, the notion of fractional anything has kind of been growing with small businesses. Um, we do it on the sales side, you're doing it on the marketing side. I think a, a lot of it started in more financial things. You get a fractional CFO, a fractional controller. How do you see that changing or how do you see that growing when it comes to things like marketing? Yeah. You're right. Fractional CFO, meeting fractional CFOs when I was first building Authentic Brand was how I found the word fractional. I had never come across it previously. Mm. And so once I saw and met with fractional CFOs and then started meeting, meeting fractional HR providers, I realized that was a category. And I had never run into anybody doing fractional sales or marketing yet. I hadn't yet met you, Gary, and I hadn't met some other um, people that were starting to emerge on the scene, but I thought those are the words. So those are the words we started to apply. And five years ago, um, if you were to do a little bit of analysis on what people searched for on Google, nobody was looking for fractional CMO. It, it was not an established category. So I considered it part of my contribution to the world to create the education, to create that marketplace. And so for the past five years, we've been breaking ground and it's been kind of a heavy lift to educate the market that this is something that exists. It's a new way to think about solving your marketing leadership challenges. Um, but now more people have entered the circle. There's a lot of different kinds of fractional leaders. And I see there's been a huge shift. Now, five years later, people are searching for that term. We're in a position to continue to grow as a market leader in that space. And many small businesses are, a, are understanding the real value of focusing their full-time permanent positions on the core of what their business does from a service or product delivery standpoint, staying true to the core of what they do and staying flexible around that core with proven experts that they can actually afford to bring in on a fractional basis to bring wisdom around their business vision sooner and help them move more quickly forward. So it's it's happening across the board now. It's really exciting. Yeah, you know, and marketing is such a, an, an interesting animal because if you ask somebody about marketing, they can quickly go to paid advertising or SEO or uh, Google Analytics and all kinds of things in marketing or branding or, you know, all different types of things. It all follows, falls under that big umbrella of marketing. So when you talk about fractional CMO, how does that differ or how do you kind of define it? Because there's such ambiguity around what marketing is. 
You're right. The word marketing itself just opens up a can of worms. In the 20 years that I've been in the sales and marketing career, marketing has shifted from being a landscape of basically, you know, five to eight essential tools that an agency of record could help a company mobilize to being thousands of different kinds of tactics through hundreds of kinds of channels and technologies. It's very, the, the landscape of marketing is changing dynamically and prolifically. So in the world in where we play, the difference is, is that we're not, authentic brand doesn't do any of the tactical execution that any agency with any of those capabilities would provide. We're a solution for the leadership gap for growing businesses. When you look at a leadership team, the executive team of most growing businesses, they usually start off as being founder-led, sales-driven with an operations component. And then eventually they hire a CFO or a fractional CFO. They, they finally fire the founder as the head of sales and they bring Gary's team in to figure out the sales component. And marketing is the last seat. Um, everybody thinks they're a marketer, right? Until the company has matured to a point where they've felt enough pain from random acts of marketing and no clear ROI that they say, we've been praying and spraying our marketing dollars and we actually don't really know what we're doing. We're a solution for that pain point. We bring a true marketing executive to the helm and they bring together the program, the team and all of those activation components, often in partnership with multiple um, team members and agency providers. Yeah, I think you hit some, some things that are really important there and, and it kind of actually leads me to the next point, right? So you guys, I mean, you may or may not have been the very first fractional CMO firm out there, right? But you were certainly one of the earliest but just because you were early and you kind of broke into this and you got the education out there doesn't mean that you guys are going to become the next, you know, the biggest, so to speak, or the most successful firm. So what do you guys do to, you know, to, sh to become unique or to show that you guys are unique compared to all of the other firms that are popping up out there doing the same thing now? That's such an insightful question because bigger is not always better. And really, I've tried to stay true to my founder's vision and what it means. I'm, I'm currently 100% owner of Authentic Brand. And from day one, sitting down to architect my business vision at my table, I've been through entrepreneurial business journeys before, but this is the first time I'm the owner. And so from day one, I was asking myself, what do I want this business to stand for? And what do I want it to do as, as the owner of this business, right? And I wanted to build a high value business with rich relationships and depth of impact I don't need to be the biggest to do that, but we want to be world-class in what we do. So I wasn't the first fractional CMO firm and we're not the biggest and that's not what we're striving for, um, but we want to be world-class and exceptionally different. And I know that we're building in that direction. Um, I recently published an article that's on our website at authenticbrand.com on what is a fractional CMO. The marketplace actually needs a definition on that now because there are so many variants of it. I'm sure that's true, Gary, in your world too, but the good news is with more competition, the market's more aware that this offer exists. The, the challenge then becomes differentiation. So the way that we differentiate at Authentic Brand, first in our model, we made the decision to be highly invested in our people and our culture, which means all of our CMOs are W2 employees of Authentic Brand. And that's no small undertaking to build that kind of richness in a business. So that, that necessi necessitates that we move slowly in the scheme of things, we're still going to grow by 75% this year, but slowly enough to maintain the core of who we are as a culture. Um, but in how we deliver our services, we don't just match an, a marketer to a gig. We don't just throw a parachute out there and say, there you go. 
we're a team that comes around to client engagement and the three things that make us unique are marketers methodology and mind share. So first of all, all of our marketers are not only employees at Authentic Brand, but they are truly vetted, proven executives, builders of teams and programs and ROI and results. And then we train all of them on our methodology called Authentic Growth. It's not a formula and a one size fits all, but it's a framework to help businesses make wise decisions be responsible for their marketing resources and demystify marketing. What is the difference between all the tactics and the strategy and how should it come together? And thirdly, our Mindshare brings all of our CMOs together weekly to share resources and wisdom and help accelerate impact for our clients. So every client has the benefit of a dedicated CMO plus the backing of our Mindshare and shared experiences. And that really accelerates results. So, so you've used the term a few times and, and uh, Austin used it as well, random acts of marketing. So explain what that is and why that's a problem for small businesses random acts of marketing first of all i that was a phrase that became our tagline um, about a year after i started the business i was at the time i was still of course head of sales head of marketing head of most things at that time with a handful of consultants um, and so I was in every sales meeting and it accidentally came out of my mouth one time in a meeting with a CEO and a CFO and they looked at each other and their eyes went wide and I knew I had struck a chord, you know? And so I started testing that phrase with other sales conversations and every time the same reaction, eyes go wide and they either want to cry or laugh because it strikes a nerve. So random acts of marketing looks like a few things, common things for most of our clients. Like I said, most of our small business clients have never had an executive head of marketing. That seat didn't exist on their leadership team until we arrive. And so random acts for them has looked like marketing is either reporting up through sales or someone responsible for sales and marketing. 99% of the time, that person is a sales manager. They're not a marketing leader. And they're living in the, the reality of today's pipeline, not in the reality of long-term brand building strategy, right? So, or marketing is reporting up through the founder, or it's being cobbled together by whoever has time in the company. So that creates a lack of true ownership, accountability, and, and proactivity to guide that strategy. And as a result, most small businesses know they need to do something. So they're spending money. They're redesigning the website, or some agency has told them they can really get better results through digital marketing or SEO or whatever it is. And they're trying things on in 90-day in bursts in experimentation, hoping that that drives results. But any experienced marketing leader will tell you um, that it takes long-term effort with real strategic alignment to get the value out of the marketing programs you layer in over time. So that's just a description of what random acts of marketing feels like. Ultimately, what it feels like is the CFO and the CEO are frustrated. They're asking, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing, but what are we getting? We have no way to know what we're getting as a result. That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. And I think I think you really did, you know, I, I wouldn't call it stumble because I think you you knew what you were what you were doing, but maybe it came out of your mouth unexpectedly and you realized you had something there. So you know, it's not that you stumbled upon the idea, but I've seen it multiple times. I mean, I've spent 20 years working with small business owners and this random acts of marketing that you talk about. It's true in every business. It's even been true in our business. And we feel like we've got a pretty good handle on marketing overall. I mean, how many people in our industry do podcasting to begin with, right? So that's one thing. And, and consistently enough that we're on the heels of our 100th episode. So, you know, we're okay, I guess, but we still do that. 
but I want to back up a little bit because I think that there's some terms that are used interchangeably by a lot of people without really realizing the difference in each of these three terms, right? So I'm going to ask you for your definition of these three terms, branding, marketing, and sales, right? Three of them get lumped together so often and I'd love to hear from you the difference between, you know, those three. And, you know, Gary, you can obviously weigh in here, too, because you're heavily involved on the sales side and specifically the sales management side. But like you just talked about, those executives typically are over both sales and marketing and probably shouldn't be because they are truly unique and different. So Very different. I'll, I'll give you the stage and let you uh, go on the longest diatribe that you want to go on with those three things. Oh, this is a, this is my <laughs> playground. And for anybody who's listening to this show, I so welcome dialogue on this. I love the different perspectives. So I'm going to share from my perspective. So brand is bigger than a logo, fonts, and color palettes, but too many businesses treat it like that's what it is. We just did a brand refresh, right? What does that mean? We tweaked our logo, right? We <laughs> slapped it on all of our assets. <laughs> that's not what brand is. Your logo is a part of your brand, but brand is the promise you make to the world and how the world experiences you delivering that promise. And brand is every touch point with every stakeholder at every time that there's an interaction with your business. Brand is how your invoices go out the door. Brand is how somebody's greeted if they show up at your physical office. Brand is what your employees wear. Brand is all of those things. It's the promise you make to the world and how the world experiences you delivering on that. And if your promise is out of sync with the delivery, you've broken trust and that erodes your brand. If your promise is in sync with the delivery, you're building brand. So marketing's job, part of it, is to, with the whole organization, bring them along on what the brand is going to be and how marketing can provide infrastructure to help every player on the team support that brand experience with every stakeholder. And by stakeholders, I mean prospects, customers, employees, prospective employees, investors, prospective investors, board members, every stakeholder. That's brand. And so marketing happens to be the thread that stitches together every aspect of the experience. Too often, marketing is put pigeonholed as demand gen. Oh, we need to build marketing. This is coming from these small businesses we work with. Founder-led, sales-driven, frustrated random acts of marketing. We've juiced the turnip. We don't have any more leads. Our sales teams need more at-bats. Let's hire marketing. They'll fix it. And then they pigeonhole marketing and marketing dollars just to lead gen. And then they activate a 90-day experiment in digital, and they hope that's going to turn on qualified deals. Gary, have you ever heard of that happening? Oh, yeah, not, not since like this morning. Not since this morning, <laughs> I know. So marketing is flailing around trying to get quick momentum and somehow make that sound qualified to the rest of the organization when really marketing is supposed to operate both like, I'm going to say this for the benefit of the finance guy in the room, both like a checkbook and a long-term investment account. Marketing does the work of helping to enable those experiences for your stakeholders along the way that create engagement and can create a campaign level engagement activity, conversion points, uh, opportunities and lead toward revenue. But they also are maintaining your long-term investment strategy. How is your brand increasing value? And brands increase value by building trust, by knowing what they stand for, by articulating a promise to the world and then delivering it to the world in a way that's authentic and consistent. And that's building your long-term equity. So just like you would advise a client um, you know, not to just live their lives check to check, going to the mall and bringing home something of transactional value, we would advise our clients, 
don't live your marketing that way, operating campaign to campaign, throwing money out there, hoping it's delivering a transactional value. Make sure you're treating marketing as a long-term investment vehicle as well, which is why your head of sales should not lead marketing. You need a marketing leader to partner with your head of sales so that your head of sales can operate in the right now and make sure that pipe is moving with real opportunities and moving toward closing and winning. The role of sales is to make sure your pipeline is healthy at every single stage and to continue working the levers that Gary and I have talked about to make that pipeline most effective. Highest qualified opportunities, moving as fast as possible through conversion points, building that trust, turning into clients, staying clients or customers, and marketing then supporting the entire life cycle of that brand journey so that they're raving fans for the long term. So did I answer all the questions you asked? I, what is brand? What is marketing? What is sales? You need them I all. Think, I think that was really well stated. I, I'm going to have you talk about sales for my team now. Um, that, was, <laughs> no, that was really, and I agree with you 100%. Usually when I see a VP of sales and marketing or a director of sales and marketing, they either have the capital S or the capital L. They're really good at sales and then they kind of do some marketing and they're really good at marketing and they kind of do sales, but it's a way different skill set. So I agree with you 100% that these are, are two different things. I will say, I'd love to get your opinion here that over the last, I don't know, five, 10 years with people doing more and more on the internet, sales and marketing have even meshed more and more. And you see all the stats that you know a lot of buyers will go 60%, 70% through their sales cycle before they ever talk to a sales bank, which yes. makes me sad, but that, that's what happens. Um, but it, it makes it all the more important that sales and marketing are really aligned on who are we going after? What is our messaging? How do we cultivate and nurture these? Yes. Sales responsibility, how do I make sure that Marketing has all the feedback they need, all the names they need to market to and everything. So how has that changed? And then even on top of that, I'll throw more on the pile. Even more on top of that is our whole world changed yes. uh, with the pandemic and buyers don't buy the same as they did just three years ago. Right. So how has that affected how you help companies and how you go to market and come up with new ways to, to get in front of them? There's a lot to unpack there, Gary. So I'll yeah. start with like a, a broad brush. Um, everything changes all the time in the world of marketing, and yet nothing ever changes. Okay, so the part that nothing ever changes, no matter how much the world and the buyer journey and the technology changes, what never changes is that sales and marketing are really about connecting human to human, ultimately. Even when it's B2B and multiple stakeholders and lots of touches, Nobody buys from a brand they don't trust or a person they don't trust. And so ultimately, we're all still trying to do the same thing, build trust, build rapport, be credible, be likable, be somebody that could be trusted with a purchase. But how we get there and how we do the dance along the way has changed a lot. And I can speak from both sides of the sales and marketing coin. I cut my teeth in sales and sales management before I became a marketing leader and then shifted over to marketing. Um, and I love both. And in my own business, I've done sales and I've done marketing. And now I'm fi I fired myself from sales, though I, I help open doors, but I still lead marketing for authentic brand. So the buyer journey has changed a lot. Digital has made information available in a way that it never used to be before. And so I know I think all of us, all three of us represent professional services B2B. We're a high trust decision, right? Nobody looks at a billboard and then clicks to buy our services. That's not how it happens, right? But more and more, 
every brand needs to have a digital presence. They need to have the marketing to back them up because even if they meet one of us at an event and they're curious, they're going to go to our website to validate that what we have said can be represented in more than one place. That's how they're validating. So not every transaction is happening through marketing. And in a B2B world, it's very hard, if not impossible, to do a straight line attribution from the first point of connection. They came to this marketing event, therefore marketing gets credit for the revenue. That's just not how it works. It's a team sport now more than ever. It used to be a handoff of the baton. Marketing sponsored a trade show and gave a list of names and contacts to sales who pursued them and converted them. It's not a handoff like that anymore. It's a team sport. Marketing has some conversation starters and some engagement starters and sales enters at some point, but there's still team sporting on it. All of that marketing content, the podcasts, the blogs, that is supporting the sales conversations along the way. It's reinforcing, it's adding layers of trust so that if those layers of trust aren't there, that buyer doesn't have the same level of confidence as they might with talking with another brand that has all that layer, all the layering around it. So it's truly a team sport and those feedback loops need to be there. And even though I'm a huge proponent of separate sales leader and marketing leader, I'm also a huge proponent of treating it all like one revenue team. Yeah. We are all aiming for the same goals. And if we're doing things the right way, building trust and brand value, all ships are rising. And we don't have to have, we don't have to fight over who gets the credit. If all ships are rising and the company is meeting its goals, and the marketing is supporting that narrative and that brand value and that trust and sales is following up to cultivate that personal connection and we're all winning. So those are the places that I, I spend a lot of time talking with small businesses, helping them get over the toxic hurdle of, I need to be able to measure marketing revenue contribution versus let's look at our revenue team and how marketing is influencing and supporting all of that revenue along the way. Yeah. So I've got a follow up to that, but let's take a quick break to uh, to have a quick call to action, and uh, we'll jump back and talk a little bit more about this and and where you know plenty of other things actually. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Jennifer Zick, and we're talking with Authentic Brand, and we're talking about all things marketing, but we're also talking about branding and sales. And so, right before the break, we were talking about you know the difference between those three things, and and kind of the importance of them working together, but that they're not the same thing. I want to just kind of get your opinion on maybe this statement. I would say something to the effect of marketing supports building your brand. And marketing also supports sales opportunities or leads to sales opportunities. Is that, is that a fair way of putting it? That's very fair. Yes. Marketing should always be helping provide the mechanisms for brand building and equipping every member of the team to be a brand ambassador because brand building is truly a, a company-wide sport. But yes, marketing is also supporting engagement through acquisition and 
retention and advocacy all the way through that customer journey to really help every, every business get the maximum value out of every engagement. So, so Jennifer, when you and I have talked uh, um, trying to unify sales and marketing because you're, traditionally we've seen things where marketing does a bunch of work and supposedly scares up leads and then sales goes, well, those are really bad leads. And then, you know, marketing says we've generated all this stuff, but sales doesn't follow. And then we've got these silos going on. Um, and we've seen both of us have seen that before. I love how you talk about data. You talk about metrics. You talk about unified. What, what are the key things that sales and marketing should be looking at together? So we are a team and we're working on that. What are the, some of the, the key things that you look at? Yeah. Well, Gary, you and I have talked about, and I'm currently writing a blog about what I call the big three in marketing metrics, but they're not marketing metrics only. They're organizational health metrics. And this is nothing that can be done on an island by the marketing leader. It has to be done in partnership with revenue team leaders. And usually in small businesses, those are owners and founding team members. It's finance, it's sales, it's marketing. It's that whole team coming together and looking at these metrics on a regular basis. So I will, I'll start by saying at, at Authentic Brand, we work with a wide range of businesses. B2B is a strong spot for us, but we've grown a lot in the last two years in B2C and e-commerce businesses as well. So these metrics look a little different depending on the business model, but the fundamentals are the same. The big three are customer lifetime value. I just alluded to that when I said marketing supports from first engagement to conversion and customer acquisition all the way through to retention and, and advocacy, right? Customer lifetime value. That's huge. You would not believe how many small businesses I talk to that are obsessed with getting at-bats and winning new deals and have no obsession at all about retaining the clients they have and maximizing those relationships. So they're letting so much business just walk out the back door and all they're looking at is the front door. That's like opportunity number one to get healthy growth in your business. Retain what you have and make it work better and stronger. The second is uh, custom, the, what, what's CAC, CAC, customer acquisition cost. Now this is usually really easy to measure in B2C because you literally can pay per click and conversion and you can track that all the way through. You know, if I want to, you know, click an ad, go on a website and buy something that's easy. In the B2B world, the easiest way to measure customer acquisition costs is just to agree as a, as a leadership team on the formula. For most small businesses, that formula would be, what is the cost of running sales and marketing in our company from staff down to activation? All of that. What's the bundle? How much new business and revenue did we see as a result in the past, whatever the time span is that you mark as an organization? Do simple math to divide it out and say our customer acquisition cost looks like for every dollar we invest in the revenue team, we can expect to see $5 in customer revenue, right? Know what that number is and then focus on optimizing that so that the other thing I see businesses do all the time is they think that to get more growth means they and no disrespect to salespeople, I love them and I was one, but they have to hire the next sales rep, hire the next sales rep, hire the next. That's an expensive way to get to growth. There's probably a combination of brand building and marketing investments that you can make along with sales team members, the right balance there to get you optimized cost of acquisition, right? And finally, time to convert. Um, in, again, in a B2C world, conversion can be as quick as click to purchase. There might be multiple steps along that way. In a B2B world, time to convert can be really complicated because it could be six to 12 months of a buying cycle from firsthand raise um, to conversion, and it could be five to 10 stakeholders involved in that, right? So there's a lot of things that have to happen for something to get to a win, especially in high trust B2B professional services. 
But if you can start to understand and unpack what's our average time to convert for the healthy clients that we win, what does that look like? And what are the steps they take along the way? You can start to optimize that process. You can bring marketing together with sales in that journey to say, hey, we're getting stuck right here at our scope of work. It's getting stuck right here. Marketing can help you look at what's, what's causing the stickiness. Do we need to rewrite our scope of work? Do we need to smooth it out? How do we remove the friction to get them through conversion faster? And that applies on the marketing side of things too, from first awareness to the conversions you see where people engage with your content and they're moving into your funnel of engagement to become an opportunity. So if you can focus as an organization on lifetime value, customer lifetime value, CLV, customer acquisition cost, CAC, and time to convert, you're going to be watching some of the most important, most dynamic, measurable aspects of your business that your entire revenue team should care about. And I, I, I know the answer to this question, but when you go and you start working with a small business, small businesses get to a, a certain point just through hard work, right, people, you know, right product, right service, right time, good core group of people and everything else. But at some point, they need to do something different to get to the next level. So those are awesome metrics. I love those. And, and you and I have talked about it enough that we, we agree on those. But when you go into a, an organization that hasn't made that leap yet, what are they looking at? What are the measurements that they're looking at? And, and how do you get them to that next level to, to make them think about those things that you just talked about? Yes. Well, sometimes the change they need to make, Gary, can be driven by data. And sometimes it has to be driven by discipline. Okay, so in most small businesses that we walk into, we're looking for data. Data is great because nobody can argue with it if you know what it is. It just is what it is, right? Um, but some businesses have never put systems or process in place to even capture data, so they have no baseline at all. That's actually pretty common. Scary to me, but very common. And so for companies that have no baseline data, it'll take at least a whole year to capture baseline data around the most important things you want to measure to have enough data that you can start making some decisions from. After you're able to make some decisions from data, you can start to see patterns after a couple of years. After you get past patterns, you can start to be predictive. Okay, but that just takes time because you need the data to pile in and be trackable. Before you get to data, though, you can get to discipline. And by that, I mean the first change most small businesses have to make is to start to say no. They have to start to say no and be disciplined about it because like you said, Gary, most founder-led, brilliant entrepreneurial sales-driven companies have wanted to say yes to any revenue because it's revenue, yeah. right? But not all revenue is healthy revenue and not all of it gets you to next level results, which is why they start hitting their heads on the walls. Things are not operationally efficient. Everything is unique. It's really challenging to scale. So one of the scariest things for small businesses when they bring a CMO to the table for real is the CMO is going to challenge that leadership team to say no. And this is where I pull out my baseball analogy, which I know you know, Gary, <laughs> but it's one, of, it's, it's, it's one that tends to work. People get it. When you introduce a marketing leader and, and true strategic marketing to your organization, um, I want you to think in terms of a baseball team. You've always had your, your operations, whether that's a product or a service or some combination of delivery, that's your outfield, right? There's a wide range of capabilities, which is why um, founders want to apply it to wherever it could stick, right? Let's get the revenue for anything we can deliver on. Well, then you add sales and you've got an infield. They're like, we're going to get more focused. These are the industries we can focus on or where our solutions can be best fit, but they still have quite a bit of maneuverability to shape a deal left to right, right? You get a marketing leader and a real strategic go-to-market plan, and they're your pitcher, and they're aiming for a very narrow strike zone, and everything else is going to be, be just 
opportunistic. So that helps put all of your marketing dollars, all of your resources aiming in the same direction and going further to attract the best, healthiest, most ideal clients. Now, what that means is that your company has to agree on what your go-to-market strategy will be and get it narrow. But what it doesn't mean is that your company has to say no to revenue that doesn't fit that model exactly. You still have the opportunity when a ball comes flying, you know, left or right to maneuver and decide you're going to catch it. But when it comes to how you go out into the world, what you pursue, you have to be laser focused. So that's a scary time in the evolution of a business to say, we want next level results. Well, now you've got to narrow your focus. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's the path to healthy growth. So now I need you to come up with an analogy for when your pitcher is Shohei Otani and is also the best hitter on the team. Because ah. then, you know, then you, I think you've really got a really great marketer, right? Because you can throw it right down the pipe and you can hit it over the fence. <laughs> I have to expand my analogy library now. Thank you for the challenge. <laughs> All right. So we just talked about, you know, what a CMO can do for your business, right? So When's a business really ready to bring on a CMO? Yeah. Well, if a business was looking to bring in a full-time executive package CMO, they'd probably need to wait until they're 30 to 50 million in revenue to afford that role. But by then they will have created some very expensive random acts of marketing, which is why I built the business that I did to get them that wisdom sooner. Um, so we work with businesses that are between five and a hundred million in revenue. By the time a company has experienced enough marketing experimentation and pain to recognize they truly do need a strategic leader, not just more people doing stuff, usually we find the companies 5 million and above um, are ready and have the business foundation and leadership team to make that role a success. They're not a pure startup. They have a team. They have a proven offering to bring to market that the marketing team can get behind. And they've probably been spending six to seven figures already in various marketing experiments. So depending on the industry, marketing budgets take a wide range, again, between B2B, B2C, how their sales organizations built. But common denominators for our clients and getting really great value out of a fractional CMO is five to 100 million in revenue, at least a six-figure activation budget, and the appetite to commit that this role will be on your leadership team for the next two years, at least building foundation, maturing the organization, getting your data organized, and bringing the right players in to really build a mature modern marketing organization. And if I take that one step further, what, what's happening in my organization? I get the demographics, I get where we're at and what we're spending and whatnot. What's happening in their business where they should be going, mm -hmm. I am, I guess I am doing random acts of marketing or, or what's happening results-wise or discipline-wise or whatnot to, to make them say, there's a better way I should really look at doing this better. What, yeah. what are the triggers, if you will? Well, one very important common denominator amongst our clients is that they are all growth-focused businesses. They're not just trying to stay the same size, shape, year over year, or grow by 3%. They want to make bigger gains, and they have historically made those gains by, you know, in their entrepreneurial early stage, but maybe they're seeing the gains start to taper off, or they're hiring for some key roles that now that they know are going to need more, what I would call air cover, if they're finally starting to build that next level sales team, they're finally starting to say, we're going to take our current market, we're going to expand it into two more markets or launch two more product lines, or, or they're looking at a key event 
if the owner of the business says in three to five years, I need to be ready to sell this business or in the next two years, we're going to make a strategic acquisition and we better be in a healthy place to absorb and integrate that culture, their people, their product, like major moves on the horizon, major growth initiatives, unsatisfied with status quo. Those are the kind of businesses that need to start making space for a marketing leader to help steer the ship. And not just a marketing leader that reports to someone on your leadership team and who organizes your agency resources, a marketing leader on your leadership team to be a business advisor first, knit together what we talked about, what brand is. Brand is not just execution of the marketing and the standards of the marketing. Brand is how your business keeps its promise to the world. So an executive marketing leader will help make sure that promise is well articulated and everybody's well aligned around it. And I'm glad you said that because all all owners at some point are going to exit the business. Right. I mean, they're either going to sell it, they're going to go ESOP with it, they're yep. they're going to pass it down to a kid, they're you know they're going to pass away. Who knows what they at some point they're going to leave and they want it to be as valuable as it can be. Yes. One of the big things that discounts the value is if we don't have a good sales and marketing engine. That's right. If, if it's unpredictable or inconsistent, that goes away. So that that plays into your your event coming up, you know, I'm going to sell it. I want to make this thing as valuable as possible. Yeah. Not only in the dollars and cents of the actual valuation, but in the culture, in, sure. in the, the scores you receive in employee reviews, the, 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 the reputation you have in the market, the, the longevity of your client engagements, all of that is supported by a strong brand. So it's really important if, to even if you're not ready to hire that CMO, fractional CMO, and, and fill that seat yet, it's so essential for the leadership team to understand brand building and the value of a focused story told consistently, lived out authentically, you know, and delivered to create great trust. Like that is the accelerant in business growth and value. Gary, I, I, I'm, I'm going to claim that you learned that from me. Regardless of whether you did or not, but I, I, I felt like Gary was speaking on my behalf, channeling me through Gary there on, uh, on that comment. But the reality is, he he's absolutely correct, right? Whether it's marketing or otherwise, the executive team in a business with being filled with well-rounded and very capable executives is extremely important when it comes to the value of the business, no matter what way you're trying to exit that business. So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. But so I want to I want to just kind of transition a little bit. So a CMO typically your your role is strategy and leadership, but there are also the tactical sides of marketing, right? So think of website design, content, search marketing, web development, SEO, whatever it is, right? Do you guys do that as well, or are you guys just the strategy and leadership? That's a great question because there's a lot of muddy waters in what does a marketing leader do? And part of that is proliferated by all the different variants of fractional CMO that are in the market today. One of those variants is actually traditional agencies who are now offering fractional CMO services by relabeling their strategic account manager role. That is not the same as the kind of fractional CMO leadership we provide as a member of your team representing your best interests and not selling other services. So the answer is, no, we don't sell any other services besides leadership of marketing teams, programs, strategies, and all of the players who help to execute. But what we do, because 
companies couldn't get very far if all they had was lofty thoughts, right? What we do um, is uh, we help clients move their activation forward through our curated network of what we call our ally network of providers. These are the marketing ninjas across the most important disciplines for modern marketing organizations. So we have over 30 providers in our ally network who are either freelancers or small agencies who specialize in the areas of execution that most of our small business clients need. So our clients are never under any obligation to leverage our ally network resources, but it's available to fast track for them and for our CMOs access to vetted, trusted, values first, nimble providers with true specialization because agencies that do it all don't do much in terms of providing value. Agencies today have to be laser focused in one to three disciplines that connect closely and they need to know their swim lanes and partner very transparently and very well with other providers that come alongside. So that's what our ally network does. And um, it's been a great way to help clients take leadership and strategy and get it into activation, even before they're starting to hire and build their internal teams for some of those roles. Yeah. Well, the, the old adage, jack of all trades, master of none comes to mind when you, when you put it that way, which is definitely true. So I, I've got an add on to that. So the typical client that you take on then, and you're stepping in into that CMO role on, you know, on a fractional basis, of course, but um, you're stepping into that CMO role. What does the marketing department typically look like internally for those yeah. businesses? Yeah, it's, it's kind of half and half, half of our clients, and it's not necessarily based on revenue, which is interesting, but half of our clients have zero full-time marketing staff when we arrive on scene. They have executed marketing up until that point through borrowing some of the time of internal staff members and then project managing a few agency and freelance and contract resources to kind of get the things done or just tackling things one project at a time with a partner, um, very random. And the other half of our clients have made some awesome hires. They have very dedicated, loyal, capable marketers on staff who've been trying to organize their lives reporting to somebody in sales or another executive team member who does not understand and isn't trained in, in marketing as a discipline. And they end up having to respond to chasing a big shiny object list, right? I, I joke and I say this lovingly, my heart goes out to marketers in that situation because they become the junk drawer of the organization. Hey, we're having a client visit us today. Marketing can organize a lunch. Hey, we're doing an all hands. Marketing, would you please put out the campaign? <laughs> hey, marketing is just the junk drawer of whatever needs communication or touch. And not to say marketing's not happy to play an internal communication role, but without a strategic leader, a lot of small businesses hire and lose talented marketers who don't have clarity on what's directing the game plan. What are their swim lanes? How do they collaborate with you? And how do they knit together in-house capabilities with those agency partners to get the maximum benefit and alignment of everybody's role? So I see a lot of great businesses hire great marketers and then lose those great marketers for lack of clarity and direction and, and empowerment. So Jennifer, when you go into a new client, you just kicked off and whatnot, they said, yeah, we need to do something different. Are there you know, a couple, two, three things that are the first things that you go to that you start addressing right away? Is there a commonality among those things? Yeah, well, every client has different things already in flight or on fire when we arrive, right? Like they've made commitments. Those commitments need to be seen through. So we, we take a dual role from day one. From day one, we are at the helm. We will, we will lead that team. We will contribute as an executive on your leadership team and we'll help you see your commitments through. 
but we're also going to get under the hood. And the way that we get under the hood is we lean into our methodology. We have developed through the combined efforts of our team of CMOs, a methodology for at the front end of our engagements for a, a fast track discovery. So instead of taking six months to get solely acclimated to all the internal players and the culture and, and the assets, we go through that with an assessment and an audit um, in the first six weeks to really get us down to a, an action plan right off the bat, what needs to happen in the first 90 days, where are the gaps, where are the opportunities, how many resources can we devote to move things and how, so therefore what does our plan need to start to include? And then we roll that initial marketing action plan into a longer term marketing roadmap, which will include everything in an annual kind of a basis re refreshed quarterly. So yeah, we follow the same path with every client to get us to truly unique plans for each client. Awesome. Is is there a couple things that always they're missing? Is there you know? Is, maybe the answer is no. But is I know on the sales side, there's always just a few things that I can go to right away. And I know that in a small business who grew up and they're still in that go go stage and running around doing stuff, there's always a few things missing. Is there anything like yeah. that on the marketing side? The most common things that I can reflect on that are most commonly missing is clarity of marketing roles and accountability and like a cadence for communication. Like there's just, it's very ad hoc. And so one of the first things we put in place are cadence, right? A cadence of meetings from the top all the way through to every vendor that's, that's supporting marketing. Um, but you'd be surprised at the wide range. Like sometimes we walk into client situations that are, are pretty mature in terms of their marketing organization, but now it's just time to bring in a strategic leader to get them to the next level. And, and other times we walk into absolute chaos, um, but we're, we're just very pragmatic leaders. You know, none of our marketing executives just came out of an ivory tower in a giant corporation with billions of dollars in ad spend. That's not who we are. We're very close to ground level entrepreneurial marketing leaders who love to roll our sleeves up link arms with the team, get people in the right position to thrive, and then be serious about what resources are available and make wise choices and just be good stewards on behalf of our clients. Awesome. I I'll tell you what, Jennifer, I think the, the story that you have is very unique. I think what you guys are doing is, is unique. I mean, I, I, the biggest struggle that any business has, Landon and I have it. I know Gary has it. I know our other partner, Ryan, has it. And pretty much any business that I've ever come across is how do you communicate your uniqueness to the marketplace? And I think that you've done that better than probably 99.9% .9 of business owners that I've ever met. So I, I applaud you for that. That could be the highest praise I've ever received as a professional. <laughs> Thank you. That means the world to me. And it's a, it's a challenge and an honor to continue to live up to that. I mean, I really want my little business, my little five-year-old business to be the best case study for how we can help build other authentic brands. So yeah. um, I, I, I'm overjoyed to do the work that we're doing and to keep firing myself from jobs and creating opportunities for other people. It's just the best feeling. So I'm really grateful that I, that the universe gave me a, a challenge five years ago and helped me take the leap. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more time to actually unpack the last thing that you just said, because firing yourself from more jobs is a really important, important step for founders and entrepreneurs to get to. And so you've got to continue to fire yourself from those jobs. And we could certainly talk, you know, for a long time about that. 
but the last thing I, I'm going to give you the last word. So how can, how can any of our listeners connect with you and authentic brand if, if they're in the market for CMO or they just want to talk to a really great person? I always love linking in with other professionals. I just love to be able to follow one another's journey and have a conversation. And so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, just search Jennifer Zick. Um, but to learn more about Authentic Brand, visit our website at AuthenticBrand.com. That is all one word, no S at the end, just AuthenticBrand.com. We create a lot of great content that's really written with the entire executive team of entrepreneurial businesses in mind. So there's good learnings, webinars, ways to engage. We'd love to just invite you to be in our circle. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Anything you want to add at the very end there, Gary? No, I've, I've known Jen since she started the business. She's, she's built quite a culture there. Uh, people love working there. The clients love her. We have several clients in common. They do an awesome job. So it was a pleasure to have you on the show with us today, Jennifer. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us. Thank you both for the invitations. It's been really, really fun. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.